Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, TCK Potters, I want to give a shout out to Anchor, which is the podcast avenue we record with to bring you these episodes. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was trying to get this podcast off the ground, I had a lot of questions. Like, how do I record a podcast? How do I record an episode? How do I get the Candlestick Kids Fantasy Podcast onto all of the apps that people are listening to? And how can I reach as many people as possible for free and make money at the same time from my podcast? The answer to every one of these questions is Anchor. Anchor is the one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now Anchor can match you up with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. That means you can get paid to podcast right away. Gaining some revenue from those podcast sponsors is essential to making necessary upgrades to the podcast and your overall brand. I appreciate how user-friendly Anchor is and how we can record our episodes via our computers or over the phone, similar to a voice memo or a phone call, and we can record these episodes, edit them down as needed, upload them, and boom, the episode is ready to launch. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast and even make money doing it, go to anchor.fm forward slash start. That's anchor.fm slash start to join me and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. One more time, that's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. Welcome into the Candlestick Kids Fantasy Podcast. I'm your host, Sky Guasco, joined more often than not by my longtime brother, Daniel Sancato. On today's episode, we'll be discussing our picks for sleepers and busts. If you have a fantasy football question or comment for our listener mailbag, please reach out to us via email at the Candlestick Kids Fantasy Pod at gmail.com. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at the Candlestick Kids, hashtag TCKPod. We have a great episode for you today. So without any further ado, let's talk ball. Hey, Daniel, how we doing? Doing well, buddy. How are things over there? Oh, so good. So good. It is officially football season. It is finally August. I feel like it's been a long time coming after the Super Bowl. It's a long wait through the winter and the spring, but we have, we have made it back to fantasy football time. NFL games are happening this week for the next few and uh we're getting underway yeah man uh especially uh with the my my other favorite team uh my favorite non-football team i should say the san francisco giants pretty much out of it at this point uh it's officially time to get excited about football uh excited about uh well a number of teams but um obviously given our our title as the candlestick kids we're going to give a little bit of hometown love to the niners um uh already some interesting developments in terms of position battles and uh already some injuries and things along those lines so we'll have a lot to talk about i'm sure uh in the next few weeks leading up to the start of the regular season i'm super looking forward to it we're gonna have a lot of fun with this podcast so let's get into it with our sleepers what the hell is this that's a silly message 
That means Luca Brasi sleeps with the fishes. Now with Dolph Ziggler in the sleeper hole. First off, we're going to get into the sleepers, our late round sleepers, and we're going to go with players that we believe can have an impact from the 10th round ADP beyond. So the 10th round further, uh, according to their current ADP, and I'm using um, the uh, fantasy football calculator for my ADPs. So we're going to go with the 10th round further, and um, I will go first, and I'm going to go with... Yeah, go ahead. Really quickly, to clarify, we're talking PPR, right? PPR ranking? Yes, everything we do is going to be, yes, PPR. Um, we will oh. probably, you know, we'll dabble here and there on on a half point or uh, standard um, two QB leagues if it applies. Uh, you know, we'll go into all the things, dynasty, stuff like that. But for the most part, we are going to go with PPR. Yep, all right, perfect. I'm going to kick it off. I'm going to kick it off with the uh, Duck alum, Marcus Mariota. I'm really excited about him this year. Um, he's one of my favorite players in general. Uh, I had the privilege of watching him here in Eugene for many years, tearing it up on the collegiate level. And uh, I think he is yet to hit his stride in the NFL. Um, and I'm expecting big things from him this year. He's currently getting picked at QB 17. And, um, I think he's ready for a huge breakout this year and definitely a sleeper. He's got Matt LaFleur coming over from the Rams, the new offensive coordinator. He got rid of Jeff Fisher, which is only a plus. Um, Matt LaFleur has done really good things in the NFL over the last handful of years, including catapulting RG3 to over 4,000 yards and uh, to the rookie of the year. Of course, it's a few years ago, but it's on his resume, and he had a hell of a year there before he got hurt. Followed that up with Matt Ryan winning the MVP, and he turned Goff into what we now know as a you know quarterback two with some upside. Uh, after a year of um, you know people wondering if he was even the right choice for the Rams in general, so he kind of went from bust to breakout there. And uh, Matt Lafleur has done really good things with the quarterbacks, and I think that. Marcus is ready for somebody of that caliber to take him under his wing. Um, he's clearly a superb athlete. I would argue one of the best athletes at the position, um, period. And uh, according to Jim Wyatt of the TitansOnline.com, um, who follows the Titans daily, he said that Mariota is you know looking noticeably faster this offseason. I know there's a lot of coach speak this time of year. I'm not trying to get too ahead of myself. However, when someone's coming off of multiple knee injuries and he wore a brace all of 2017, which I think hindered his performance um, pretty significantly. Uh, I think that's a really good sign. So for him to be healthy, him to be able to be mobile, running is a big part of his game. I think their offense in general is going to be great. Uh, they have a lot of weapons there. So I'm certainly expecting big things from Marcus Mariota this year. Awesome. Yep. I absolutely have no disagreement with anything you just said. Uh, in the spirit of diversity, though, I'm going to go with somebody different. I'm going to go with my old pal, Alex Smith. And as I'm saying this, I, I am having faint memories of I'm a live in the Bay Area and a 49ers fan. I'm remembering how excited I was for Smith to be gone so we could give Colin Kaepernick uh, the starting job. Um, and here I am now picking him as my sleeper. Um, so I think I don't think it was a fluke uh, what Alex Smith did last year. He was fourth overall in quarterback points. Um, 
and he was finished tied for fourth in yards per attempt and first in uh, stretch vertical yards per attempt. So he was 21.9 yards average on passes thrown 20 or more yards downfield. Um, So this kind of goes counter to the assumption we all had about Alex Smith, which is that he's just sort of a a short sort of dink and dunk type uh, quarterback. Um, He even, he's actually was a decent rusher last year. He was sixth in quarterback rushing yards. Uh, I found a metric online as well, which I I need to get a reference for. um, And I'll, I'll come back with that maybe in a later episode, but uh, there's a metric called bad decision rate, which sort of measures how often a passer makes kind of a mental error that leads to a turnover opportunity. And he has, um, was the, had the second best, or I should say the second lowest bad decision rate of any passer in the league at 0.2%, which is actually pretty remarkable. Um, and now he's on the, uh, Washington, obviously. And, and this is a team that likes to, to go deep. They had a lot of uh, big uh, touchdown passes during the past two seasons, 29 uh, scoring touchdowns that uh, went 11 or more yards. Um, and so I don't think they brought him in again uh, to just be kind of a, a, a sort of a game manager quarterback. I think he has really good odds of being a quarterback one again, uh, especially with all the weapons that, that Washington seems to have with Crowder and Dotson and um, uh, Paul bringing in Paul Richardson. Um, so, so I think he's a good bet to, to return way more than what he's currently being drafted at. I agree. Yes. And uh, also as a uh, fellow 49er fan, I I certainly remember uh, in the early days um, when we basically were kind of calling for someone to take his job because he wouldn't throw the ball downfield. Um, He wouldn't force the ball into double coverages or take risks up over the top, which, you know, kept his stats pretty. Um, but was was rough uh, that he wouldn't stretch the field. And we saw that last year, um, perhaps that wasn't his call. That might have been a coaching decision one way or another. I believe he had, what was it, seven offensive coordinators in his first eight years or something ridiculous. Uh, yeah, it's it's, it's very, very hard to uh, succeed. So um, I dig it, man. I dig it. I'm, I'm really excited to uh, see Alex Smith. I you know, don't think he's going to follow up last year. I think last year was pretty magical for the uh, Chiefs in general. And Andy Reid is certainly a uh, – a quarterback, um, you know, uh, helper for sure. I'm not sure that Jay Gruden will be the same, but I definitely like the pick with uh, with Alex Smith. Right on. <clears throat> My running back is um, quite a deep sleeper, I suppose, now. Um, but I, I really believe that this guy this time next year could um, – <laughs> far surpassed being a sleeper, uh, I, I think, frankly, he could just be the starting running back for the Miami Dolphins, and that's Kalen Balazs. Um, you know, he's, he's third on the depth chart now uh, with uh, Kenyon Drake, of course, and uh, the legendary Frank Gore in town uh, coming home um, for another, you know, maybe, maybe a final, final season or two in Miami um, as kind of the 1A and 1B backs there. But Balazs is a beast. Um, looking into his metrics, man, I mean, he's he's essentially Derrick Henry or Steven Jackson um, measurables. Uh, he's an inch shorter than Andre Johnson and Julio Jones, but weighs the same. Um, he, he's basically a, a beefy receiver playing running back. Um, and we've seen it take a little bit for Derrick Henry to get moving. Uh, and I, I think we'll talk about him a little bit later on in future episodes. I think something big for him this year too. But 
the point is when these guys get moving, it takes multiple people to bring them down. And um, he's a rookie, so it's going to take him some time. And again, there's a chance he may not even do some damage this year, uh, just being further down on the depth chart. But I don't believe in Kenyon Drake, which I know we'll get into later on. Um, and Frank Gore, who I love uh, so much um, as a player, and he's a Hall of Famer, I I just don't think that he's got enough in the tank to keep off Balage. So that being said, I think Kalen Balage uh, is, is a huge opportunity to be a deep sleeper this year. And basically he's going undrafted. Um, I mean, he's barely even a handcuff because if anyone's picking anybody, it's probably Frank there in, in Miami. Um, and essentially, again, he's a passing down specialist. Um, and I think he's the best all around back in Miami period. Um, and like I said, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's the starter, uh, mid-season. Um, I, I just really believe in, in the player, and I think we've seen over the years that uh, it, it's all about opportunity in fantasy football, of course, but if he does get that opportunity, um, I think he can really do some damage. Yeah, I think I think um, certainly if you're in a, if you're in a, a PPR league or, or certainly a dynasty or keeper league, um, you know, he's definitely somebody that the ideal type of late round target that you want to give a go to. Um, but yeah, to say that he's he might be the starter by midseason, I think that qualifies as a bold prediction, which we'll we'll get into some more of those later. But um, but yeah, given the given the two guys ahead of him on the depth chart, um, but but yeah, I definitely see. I I follow all your logic for sure. Um, all right, so for my running back sleeper, I'm taking uh, Kenneth Dixon of the Baltimore Ravens. Um, now, so the disclaimer is is that I've overvalued Dixon this is sort of going to be my swan song with Kenneth Kenneth Dixon because I've been high on him for uh several years in the past um I've overvalued him I think I at one point I had him ranked above Jordan Howard so you know swing and a miss um but I'm not I'm not ready to give up on him uh after two sort of injury and suspension plagued seasons uh especially not when his price is this low I mean he's being drafted I'm not sure exactly what his ADP is now probably a little higher in PPR leagues but still you know, near the later rounds, in the later rounds for sure. Um, uh, and it's, so I kind of, in defending him, I think go, uh, it's useful to go back and kind of talk about what people thought of him when he was drafted. And he earned uh, pro football focus's highest receiving grade of all backs. Um, and he led the draft class with 16 forced missed tackles on receptions. Um, and as uh, the Scott Barrett of pro football focus notes, uh, Joe Flacco, who, at least as it stands, is the starting quarterback on the Baltimore Ravens, another probably topic that we'll get into uh, at some point. But Joe Flacco uh, is is notorious for targeting running backs. Um, I think he's tar- targeted running backs on a higher percentage of passes than all but two quarterbacks in the league since 2007. Um, and I think with just Alex Collins and Javorius Allen ahead of him, uh, I think Dixon has a nice chance to carve out the role that I think the Ravens hoped that Danny Woodhead would have would have done last season, um, and thus becoming kind of a PPR monster. Um, and I think in in a best case scenario that isn't that ridiculous, I think he could uh, the sort of elusive runner that they that they forecasted him to be coming out of college shows up, and he actually could completely run away with the full time job. But even if that doesn't happen, uh, even if sort of more of a worst case scenario, I think he still provides solid late round value as a, as a kind of a passing back. Um, so he's definitely my call for the sleeper. I don't disagree. I actually really, I really like Alex Collins. 
um, this year, which we'll get into, which we'll get into in a bit. But but I have to say that uh, as far as handcuffs go, um, Kenneth Dixon is at the very top, of course. Now, I do know um, that he's been uh, battling some injuries just in the last couple of years in general. He has a hard time staying on the field, which yep. is um, is frustrating, obviously. But even this uh, early training camp, he's had, you know, a couple tweaks here and there. Um and uh, to your point, he uh, currently is going as the 56th running back off the board, yeah. and uh, that's about an you know that's a late 13th round pick. So I mean, yeah, when you're you know when you're at that point of the draft and you're throwing darts at sleepers anyway, you want a guy like Balage or Dixon, um, who you know again you're throwing hell marys anyway, and if if one of these guys accidentally hits, um, you find gold. You know, instead of picking someone like Frank Gore, who you know will have consistent, you know, consistent usage throughout the the weeks, but um, he's just not going to give you that week. And uh, to your point, you know, as much as um, you know, you'll you'll hear me get into my uh, my Flacco fury um, soon enough. uh, I will say that uh, you know Ray Rice. was Ray Rice for those couple of years because of what he was able to do out of the backfield as a receiver. Yep. Um, he was, you know, he was a decent, decent running back, of course, but uh, man, you know, I had him way back in the day in those PPR leagues and he was an absolute machine catching, yep. you know, seven to 10 balls a game because Flacco either throws it 55 yards or he throws it three. And um, I think uh, Kenneth Dixon definitely ho- holds the candle over, uh, Right. Over Alex Collins there with the receiving back, so I think that's a great that's a great pick with uh, Kenneth Dixon. And, and I think certainly to your point about about sort of uh, you know kind of these these types of guys in the late rounds, I think certainly Balage has has I think the the drop on the future on future value in terms of what he's going to provide next year and beyond. But I think kind of like I said, one reason why I like guys like Dixon and guys like him is just because I think he'll provide, even if Alex Collins tears it up and, and, and becomes a lead back, I think Dixon will still provide to your point, assuming he stays on the field, I think he will provide value this year. Um, in addition to potentially providing some future value. So, so, you know, I like these, I'm a, as one theme that'll emerge as we talk, I'm a huge fan of these kind of PPR beast type guys uh, that can provide surprisingly stable value late and late, uh, late in drafts. Um, uh, even if uh, even if they're they're not lead backs, so um, but anyway, we should get on to receivers. Beautiful. My receiver is Cameron Meredith. Um, I I picked him up uh, on accident years ago uh, when he was with Chicago in 2016 off waivers, I believe that year, and uh, he was just basically the fantasy darling and just absolutely crushed for the 14 games that he played. Um, in those 14 games, uh, you know, he was he was a stud, uh, catching over 800 yards. Um, and if you extrapolate his numbers over 16 games, it would have been 75 catches for 1,000-plus yards and about five touchdowns. And let's not forget his glorious quarterbacks that year, who were Jay Cutler and uh, Barkley. Um, <laughs> you know, now he's, he's catching balls from Drew Brees who, uh, you know, you're going to hear I'm, I'm in love with this year and, uh, rightfully so. I mean, he's, he's been a hall of famer for many years and he's able to feed everybody in his stable as we've seen. So I love Cameron Meredith. I think he's going to be great. He's healthy. Um, 
he missed all of last year, of course, with a knee injury, but um, I think he's going to be great. They, you know, he just got paid. They paid him enough to come in and immediately uh, make a difference. Um, of course, there's Ted Ginn, uh, who is basically a one-trick pony, albeit good at it, um, but he essentially just runs the nine route and Breeze will chuck him, you know, 10, 15 a year, and he's going to catch half of them for 70-yard touchdowns. But um, I don't think uh, when push comes to shove, I don't I don't see him beating out Meredith overall as a number two uh, receiver. Um, although I believe at the time of this recording, Meredith is technically the receiver three on the team. But again, I think once we get through training camp, um, that will uh, that'll certainly change. Excuse me, that'll certainly change. Um, and uh, Michael Thomas obviously is is just an animal. But um, I think Meredith will be an excellent compliment over there on the, on the second side there and, and be a great uh, wide receiver too. And uh, right now he's the wide receiver 50 off the board, which I think is just silly. So I love Cameron Meredith this year. Yeah. I think in terms of, uh, in terms of talent, uh, there's no doubt that he's, that he's on that level. I think, again, the question marks around him are just all about opportunity with Thomas and Ginn. And I think, you know, uh, Ben, ben Watson could be sort of a sleeper for targets over there. When Mark Ingram comes back, he he gets a lot of targets. So you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, threats on that team. I think that's really the only question mark surrounding Meredith. It's certainly not uh, his his athleticism or his talent for sure. Sure. Um, all right, uh, my guy. Uh, I'm going with Josh Doxson, who inexplicably is being taken. I think in the twelfth round in drafts right now, which strikes me as kind of insane, but uh, that may change as, as we get closer to the season and the hype continues to, to build. But um, so I think one thing that's important to keep in mind with Dawson is last year was realistically his first year at full strength against, against NFL competition. He missed pretty much all of his rookie year, strained his Achilles early. Um, and by the end of the year last year, he was becoming a pretty impressive red zone threat. He got 15 targets, uh, 15 red zone targets, 11 of which came in the final two months of the season, and he scored four touchdowns. Uh, he ended up finishing the year with a little over 500 yards and six scores. Um, I think with a more accurate red zone uh, passer and Alex Smith, kind of getting back to, to what I was talking about before for my quarterback sleeper, I think he's going to have a chance to score uh, at an even higher rate than he did uh, with uh, Kirk Cousins. Um, and I think given his size, he's 6'2". I think near the goal line, he's probably going to be one of their top targets. Um, and so just as a – I'm not sure what he's going to do in terms of just overall yardage, especially with guys like Crowder um, on the roster and Paul Richardson. But I think in terms of – he's going to be the guy that's going to vulture touchdowns off of off of those other guys because of his size and athleticism at the goal line. Um, so I think he's going to score um, than, than a lot of people – um, and for that reason, he's my he's my wide receiver sleeper. Great. And uh, of course, I think um, kind of, you know, in the fantasy circles, I think the first thing that comes to mind when you think about Josh Dogson is, is right. You know, when he was coming out of the draft out of TCU, a lot of people immediately compared him to A.J. Green. Um, right. on just, you know, size, uh, you know, kind of player build, but inability. I mean, he did lose his rookie year. Um, last year he, he was kind of just, you know, finding his feet. Um, but I was, you know, I was one of the suckers that reached early for Terrell Pryor last year, expecting big things and, um, you know, kind of found out about Josh Dogson only because 
I had to swap out <laughs> prior for, or prior for Dachshund, you know. And um, I think my my only concern uh, with with uh, Dachshund is that um, he had a forty about a forty five percent catch rate um, hmm. last year, which those are always kind of weird stats. It's you know some of it's a quarterback, some of it's a receiver, some of it's you know incomplete passes, things like that. So you take it with a grain of salt. However. Um, you know, that that's definitely going to have to come up. And I think to your point, I think it'll come up with, uh, with Alex Smith. I think that Alex is able to put the ball where he wants to. And although he's not going to force it, like I think cousins used to a little bit and let it, let it fly. Um, when, when Alex commits, I think it's going to be a good throw more often than not. Um, yep. and, uh, I think, uh, Doxon will be able to get that. And also, you know, Jay Gruden, um, had mentioned, you know, that he's going to be most dangerous around the red zone and he wants to get him more targets. Although to your point, he did, you know, have 15 red zone targets and, and touchdowns. But the point is they're trying to get the ball to Dogson around yep. the goal line. Um, so I, I like that. I like that pick a lot. And, uh, I actually like, uh, Jamison Crowder a lot this year as well. Um, but it's uh, for different reasons. They're two different receivers. So I think that Dogson kind of has, um, the outside, uh, you know, to, to himself there. So I, I think that's a great call. Yep. Thanks, man. Um, my tight end is another uh, potential deep reach. Um, but again, I just, you know, believe in this guy. And, and when you're in the sleepers category, you're kind of, you're kind of just, you know, shooting here and seeing what sticks. And uh, it's, it's Hayden Hurst of the Baltimore Ravens currently going as the tight end 19. Um one of two Ravens actually drafted uh, tight ends drafted by the Ravens this year in the draft. Um, Hayden Hurst is a first round pick 25th overall. And uh, you know, Flacco, he loves his running backs. He also loves his tight ends. Um, Mm -hmm. Flacco Flacco is kind of a tricky dude. I mean, he, you know, he'll, he'll throw it 40 yards in the air to a Torrey Smith or a Steve Smith or something like that, but he'll also check it down constantly. And I think that guys like Kenneth Dixon and Hayden Hurst are really going to benefit from that. Um, Ben Watson last year, uh, you know, uh, 36 years old last year, um, his numbers would have been a tight end four in PPR. And um, if you extrapolate this, I believe he played 12 games. uh, But if you extrapolate him over 16, uh, he would have been the tight end four. Um, I think Hayden Hurst is the most NFL-ready rookie. Um, he's older. He's 24, and a lot of rookies obviously come in 21, 22. And what Evan Ingram did last year basically is just, you know, absurd. Um, he had a ton of opportunity, and we'll get into him another time. But very rarely does a rookie uh, tight end come into the league and make a splash uh, the way that Ingram did. However, I would say that Hayden Hurst falls into that category for me this year. Um, again, he's older, he's more mature, uh, he's huge. Um, he's 6'4", 250. Uh, he lines up as a receiver half the time, or did it in college anyway. Um, and I think he can stretch the field. Uh, he was excellent in the SEC uh, versus NFL linebackers. Um, so he's kind of already had a lot of that competition. Um and uh, again, he's a, he's a big body. He lined up in the backfield. Uh, I, I just think he's a great match for Flacco's check down um, tendencies. And uh, I think that Hurst can can really surprise. And again, he's being drafted uh, tight end 19. I could see him. I mean, if the chips fall, I could see him being a tight end one this year. 
no problem. And again, I'm, you know, a little bit of a reach, but I, I definitely could see it happening. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, if I'm perfectly honest, I don't, I don't know a ton about, about Hurst. Um, but, but the little that I do know suggests that he's, if you want to pick sort of an Engram repeater, you know, he's definitely somebody to look into. Um, so, so yeah, I definitely, uh, that's the type, definitely the type. If you're going to pick a tight end that late in the draft, he's somebody you want to, you want to consider for sure. Um, I think I'll, later in the show, I'll make a character in a different show. I'll probably make a case for some other really late round characters, but, uh, but I definitely like the pick there. Um, I'm going to take a totally different tact and go with kind of a boring veteran in uh, Charles Clay. Now, uh, to be honest, I think he's somebody that I, in, in the bunch of mock drafts that I've done, I seem to always end up with Charles Clay. Um, if I, if I pass on really the top three, I mean, I love the top three tight ends, right? Gronk uh, and then Kelsey and Ertz, you know, in whatever order you, you want to, you want to put them. Um, and then if I, if I miss out on one of those guys, I've been kind of coming up with clay as sort of a late round stash that I think might provide a nice return on some value. Um, so obviously the big issue here is, is, is his health. Um, and I thought he <laughs> This goes to show you just how often injured he is. I thought Clay was incredibly old. I thought he was like 35 years old. It turns out he's 29, which I actually did not know. Um, but he's obviously hurt uh, a ton, right? I mean, he dealt with knee and hamstring issues during stretches of last season. Uh, even with those, he finished with some pretty respectable numbers. He caught 49 of 74 targets for 558 yards two touchdowns over 13 games. Um, he started off absolutely on fire last year before he got hurt in week five. He was actually the fourth best tight end in fantasy through the first four weeks of the season. A um, lot of uncertainty here, a lot of new things going on in Buffalo this season, new quarterback. Um, it's not clear how Clay is going to fit in, um, in, in the new, in the sort of the new systems. Um, but uh, he's definitely some, so he, you know, he might, uh, represents something of a high risk, but potentially very high reward pick. Um, he is a steady pass catcher, sure-handed. Um, I think he should, uh, at the very least, remain on the fantasy radar all season as long as he's healthy. So he's definitely somebody that I'm targeting uh, as kind of a potential uh, steal later in, in drafts. So uh, yeah, Clay's my guy for sure. I don't hate it. Um, I'm not a I'm not a clay guy only because uh, I've kind of earmarked some other cats going around. But again, he's not even getting drafted. So I mean, if you're if you're that right. late and you're and you're waiting on the on the tight end, uh, which seems to be a common strategy this year, uh, he, you know, he's not a terrible fit at all. I'm just not really a clay guy myself. Um, however, uh, kind of a fun fact about a tight end in general, I guess, um, in his seven years in the league. Uh, he has at least one reception of 40 yards or more in six of those seven years. And um, just kind of a silly stat, but basically, you know, he can get down the field and he can move. Uh, he can run. You're right. I thought he was much older than that too. <laughs> and, and at the running back position, 29 is old news. At the tight end position, uh, you're just kind of hitting your stride. Right. You know, like I said earlier with Hurst, I mean, a lot of guys don't even catch their drift until they're, you know, 24, 5, 6, 7. Um, and, you know, again, Ben Watson's 37, you know, so uh, I I don't hate it. Um, I think he's great. Also, one thing I do like about uh, Clay is that I think he's going to be a perfect um, – he'll be a, a perfect check down option for whoever's playing quarterback. 
yep. uh, which is going to be a young player no matter what. Um, yep. And, He's definitely, and, like I said, a sure-handed kind of safe target uh, to rely on. I agree. And, you know, something tells me that Kelvin Benjamin and Zay Jones aren't going to blow the world up. So I think that, you know, Shady McCoy, if he plays, and uh, Clay are going to be the top top targets there. Uh, my only concern with him is he's never had more than six touchdowns in a season, and um, he averages, you know, roughly maybe three and a half. So um, he's a little right. little low on that, but I think that's just the Buffalo offense. I don't think that's a Clay problem. So if they can get sure. moving a little bit better than uh, – then I dig it. I think that's a, I think that's a good call. Sweet, man. So we transition into bus now. Yep. That'll wrap it up for sleepers. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, we could, we could have a handful, handful of more guys to talk about in the sleepers. I love the sleeper category personally, because I think sleepers are the, the players to reach for at the end of your draft. Like we've been saying through the segment that have the potential, if the chips fall, these guys could win your league potentially. Obviously when you're talking about a preseason and you're making predictions that seem blasphemous today, it's a little bit crazy, but guys like Alvin Kamara happen every year and that's a 10th round pick. And he was the third stringer and Adrian Peterson was ahead of him. Nobody really saw it coming, but people took stabs on him. And I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to hear about it. Yeah, exactly. You know, so those guys, those guys happen, those guys happen every single year. So you definitely want to keep your eye on the, on the deep, the, the deep, the deep threats there in the sleeper category. So. Yep. Um, I'm, I'm saying that because of uh, our, our, your beloved host, Sky Guasco nabbed Kamara. What round was it last year? Well, he, yeah, he was in the 10th and, and uh, I got to be perfectly honest. I, I had a hunch um, and I have a strategy where, you know, once my roster's filled and I'm going to the bench, um, I'm generally throwing darts and that could be any position. I'm not necessarily only running back or anything like that, but throwing darts. And I, I just had a feeling something was off with AP and I love Mark Ingram. Who's been your guy for years. Um, yep. uh, but I just, something ticked where I took the, I took the plunge and I sat on him. A lot of people drafted him and a lot of people dropped him in week three when he wasn't playing AP got traded the rest is history. And I just hung on because he can just sit on my bench, you know, because these guys in the 10th round plus are not your starter anyway. So you can sit them, wait a few weeks, see what happens. People get traded, people get hurt, uh, jobs get taken, whatever. All of a sudden you have an opportunity. So, you know, don't be afraid to throw those darts late. No doubt. All right, let's go ahead and take a quick break and we will get into the busts. I'm tired of fighting. The tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now you're going to hear about it. You stink. How's this for criticism? Um, you stink. How do you like that criticism? This guy is awful. <laughs> He's not a man since Jerry's not even married like no. I am. Moving over to the bus. Uh, this will be um, certainly an unpopular one to kick it off here, but uh, I I feel passionate about this. Um, I live in Seahawk. I live in Seahawk country, and um, you know it, it's nothing. It's nothing but but uh, 
twelves up where I live. Um, but I'm just not buying it this year. Uh, my 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 bust this year at the quarterback position is Russell Wilson. Um, currently getting drafted at uh, the quarterback three. Um, I will start this with the obvious that Russell Wilson is not a bum. He is quite uh, a savage himself. Um, he's a hell of an athlete. He's a great quarterback. He's a winner. Um, I have nothing negative to say about the guy, really. Although, I think that getting drafted as the third quarterback with his current situation this year in Seattle, I, I don't see him finishing in the top five, honestly. And I just think that you're going to have to pick him, depending on your league, of course, because a lot of people are waiting on quarterbacks. Some people reach early and, again, dynasty, two quarterback, all that. But you're going to have to reach for him and say fourth fifth round maybe depending on your league and for me there's so many other options that i'd like to go so this is less about russell wilson more about what you're going to have to do to to get him on your team and i'm just not feeling it basically i don't see a consistent quality run game in seattle um he didn't have one last year we all saw it was a mess they had four running backs um and it was it was a absolute nightmare for him and he was running for his life the entire season and he you know because he's houdini he's able to pull this off but i worry that he could take a shot doing one of his pirouettes like tony romo tony romo used to do take one of his shots and if that happens you know this team's tanked but basically um i don't see any run game to take pressure off of him i don't really believe in rashad penny this year um but they're definitely trying to establish the run they did draft rashad penny in the first round and I think Pete Carroll desperately wants Marshawn Lynch back. And he wants that, like, grinder, you know, burn the clock, uh, you know, play those cold games up in, up in Seattle late in the season and home field advantage with the 12s and all that. I, I personally think it's going to be Chris Carson over Penny. But either way, I don't see it being drastic enough to take, get that defense back to pull off. Um, Russell Wilson was sacked 43 times last year, which is the fourth most in the NFL. This is a ridiculous stat. Um, that is kudos to Russell Wilson, but just goes to show the lack of team, I guess. Russell Wilson scored 37 of the team's 38 offensive touchdowns last year. To me, that is to me, that, to me, that's insane. You know, yeah. I mean, he, 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 he threw four or rushed in. 37 touchdowns, which as an individual stat is unbelievable. Um, I, I'm not sure that anybody's ever done that, <laughs> you know, other than maybe a Peyton Manning year when he was throwing 50 touchdowns, but very impressive stat. However, again, that just shows me that there's not necessarily um, other other people there to take off the, the uh, you know, take off the pressure from him. Um, the offensive line was ranked 27th per right. Uh, pro football focus um, with 0.63 yards before contact on running plays, which right. is the 10th worst in the league. So again, right. getting no push up front. Um, they were sacked 43 times. Uh, he ran for nearly 600 yards, but most of those was out of necessity. And we all know he drops back, waits a second and scrambles. So again, great, smart move, but I'm just I'm just concerned about Russell Wilson and his ability to carry the team once again this year. And another unpopular uh, take here, which we'll get into a little bit later, 
is that I don't believe he has a legit um, number one receiving option. Um, and of course that would be Doug Baldwin, but personally, I don't think Doug Baldwin's a top tier wide receiver one in the way that he would need to be like an AJ green or somebody who's the only guy on his team um, that can bail him out. So again, I don't hate Russell Wilson. I think he's an excellent player by himself. I just worry that people are getting excited about him because they're going to make the argument that he has, you know, no running game. He's going to throw it all day. Doug Baldwin's going to be awesome. All this like, sure, maybe, but my concern is that there's nothing taking pressure off of him and he's going to have to do it all again this year. And I just don't think he's going to be able to sustain also all of the defenses in the NFC West got an upgrade this year and um, he has to play everybody twice. So it's six games with a, a handful of quality defenses, which I'm just a little bit worried about. Yep. Yeah, no, I, I, I as you know, this is going to be one, one of the, the rare instances where I think you and I have completely different takes. Cause I actually have Russell Wilson ranked as my number two quarterback. So that'd actually be ahead of his ADP currently. Um, and I just love his consistency. I mean, he's been a top three quarterback, three of the last four seasons. He's never fallen out of the top 12 ever in any of his seasons. Um, he, he's going to run, uh, which gives him basically, a, I would say, a stable and pretty high floor because even if he's having a garbage rushing day or, excuse me, garbage passing day, he's going to get a bunch of yards on the ground. Um, he has a 2% career interception rate, which is, in, which is insanely low. Um, and he's also never missed a game despite getting – pummeled around now you may say if he keeps getting sacked like he's going to maybe that's going to change here pretty soon so that's a reasonable argument um but uh and one thing i think to keep in mind is that the legion of boom is is no more uh yes. their defense is going to be as bad as it's ever been probably in in recent memory certainly in his in the over the course of his career which i think is actually going to play into his favor because i think he's we're going to see the Seahawks partake into some shootouts that they never really used to do. And he's going to have to start throwing a lot. Um, and I think we might offer, I think that might offer him some upside that he hasn't gotten to actually in, in, in other recent years because of the fact that they've always played in such low scoring kind of grind them out sorts of games. Um, so I, I'm, I am all about Russell Wilson. Um, I, I, I think, but you know, both point your points are, are really relevant in that his you know the, certainly their offensive line is is garbage and they did pretty I don't know what on earth why they didn't but for whatever reason they did pretty much nothing to improve their offensive line um, uh, in the uh, in the off season so you know he's definitely going to be scrambling uh, there's some concerns there uh, I, I see your point about their running game I think by, I'm buying into Rashad Penny a little bit more than you are but still I, I, I see your points about those things but I just I love his consistency I love his his high floor and I think he may even have a higher ceiling fair enough again I you know certainly not hating Russell Wilson he's fun to watch and uh, you know I if if he were to be the number two quarterback I would be happy to eat my words and and tip my cap i really would because i know he's i know he's capable of doing it i've seen him do it before this particular season it's this is kind of a gut call a little bit which which i also have with uh with doug baldwin which we'll get to but i i just uh it's not not flowing for me this year yep no i feel you i feel you well i speaking of sort of painful takes i'm gonna have uh kind of a similar deal with my quarterback bust, um, Jimmy Garoppolo 
again, very native Niners, Niners fan. Uh, I want to see this guy blow, tear the league apart. Um, and I do think he's a good NFL quarterback. I think, I mean, he's seven and zero in starts. Um, I think he has a legit chance to get the 49ers to the playoffs this year. Um, I think as a fantasy player, he's being drafted too high. I don't think he's a quarterback one. Um, I think his upside is sort of capped because I think uh, I still am not overly enamored with the receiving talent around him. And I'm not, I'm not sure how much touchdown potential he has. Um, last season, he totaled just eight touchdowns, uh, it both combined both uh, passing and running. Um, and his five, in the five games that he started, that number was seven. Um, if you take those numbers and sort of extrapolate them over a 16-game season, he would have produced only 22 total touchdowns, which would have been tied for 18th last year, uh, right around Matt Ryan and Derek Carr, who were considered two of last year's bigger disappointments at quarterback. Um, I, certainly, he could score a lot more this year than he did last year. Certainly, I think they've with, with McKinnon, um, potentially the rise of George Kittle, who we'll talk about. Um, uh, you know, he, he has, a, I think, a good shot to, to improve on his mark last year. But I still think he's a relatively risky pick as a starting fantasy quarterback, as a quarterback one. Um, I think he fits better as sort of a backup that you take a little bit later in a draft, uh, who has certainly some tremendous upside. Um, but he's a little risky for my taste, given where he's currently being drafted. Love my Niners, but I can't disagree. Yeah. At running back for me, my bust, and this is this is just right along with my Kalen Balaj take on the sleepers. It's it's Kenyon Drake. Um, I think you and I disagree a little bit here, but um, you know, for me, he wasn't he wasn't even the starter uh, last year until Damian Williams got hurt. Um, obviously, there's the addition of Frank Gore, which we talked about, which is basically uh, they're calling Frank Gore and Drake one A and one. B, basically. So they're kind of in a timeshare automatically. Balage, which I mentioned earlier, is the receiving back. He's the third down back pretty much regardless. And uh, he's, you know, he's the receiving specialist, as I mentioned earlier. Um, I think this three-headed monster is going to eat itself, uh, frankly. And if anybody gets out of it, I think it's going to be Balage. Um, the Miami offensive line ranked 29th overall, um, according to Pro Football Focus, and ranked dead last in yards before contact in the running game. Not a good stat for a running yeah. back. Um, basically, you know, he's he's getting the handoff and he's getting smashed. Um, unfortunately, I was also the uh, the the slum that was um, destroyed by uh, Kenyon Drake late in the season when Jay Cutler dumped off to him about 13 times and you know, two drives. Um, so he crushed me in one game. But outside of that game, uh, he was pretty pedestrian. He certainly has the breakaway speed, but I just don't see it being a consistency. I think Frank Gore is going to gobble up some of those touchdowns. Um, again, he's good for 40 yards a game uh, at least. And I think Bellage will get those receptions. So outside of a handful of big plays, I just don't see the consistency from Kenyon Drake. Um, and uh, I, I think Tannehill is back to prove something um, this year. And I think they're going to be throwing it a lot, which actually makes me like the Miami uh, receivers for the first time in a long time, but um, not so much the backfield. Yep. Yeah. I, you know, I go back and forth. I, I, I have Drake valued relatively highly. I'm kind of buying his breakout last year. I think I agree that, you know, you look at a lot of his points came on big plays, but I do think to some extent he's a big play back. 
I think he's going to have more of those than your average running back because of his uh, because of his breakaway skills. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of there's a ter- certainly a tremendous amount of question marks. Can he withstand the workload? I'm not I'm not honestly feeling Balaj as much as uh, of a threat this year. I think certainly next year and beyond, he's he's very clearly the heir to the throne. Uh, but I'm not as concerned about him right now. Uh, and and I Frank Gore is I, I who knows what he's got left in the tank. I'm he may vulture a few touchdowns at the beginning, but I have no faith in his ability to hold up as a viable option. So I think just in terms of opportunity, Drake might actually end up getting more than than we think. Um, so for that reason, I think I'm valuing him. But I do, I do agree with his concerns about his durability, his uh, his ability to uh, to sort of break tackles um, and these sorts of things. So I, I kind of, I agree and also tentatively disagree. But I may, I could see myself eating those words too. And then uh, last point for me that the, the the a lot of these for for the way I, I rank busts, it's less about the player individually and more about the the ADP and what you're going to have to do to draft right. these guys. Right. Um. You know, Kenyon Drake's being drafted as the you know running back twenty one. I, I don't. I just outside of again a ton of big plays, which again we've seen him do it. He could do it, and if you're right, it's going to happen. But I I just don't see him returning running back to value. So my concern is drafting him there. Right. And basically having him as your running back one or two, if you get one of the top guys, but to me, that's risky. I just, yep. I just don't want a part of that. Yep. No, I feel you. I feel you. Um, so I'll take kind of a, sticking with the ADP theme and, and guys who I think are just being overvalued. My running back bust is Derek Henry, who, uh, I think a lot of people are, are salivating on this year with the retirement of DeMarco Murray. Um, but I just don't think he's going to live up to what he's he's being drafted right now. I think people who favor him are sort of running with the assumption that Deion Lewis was brought in just to serve as a receiving back. And I do think he's going to occupy that role. But I actually think there's a, a reasonably high possibility that he's going to see a lot more carries, uh, Deion Lewis, that is, than people are anticipating. Um, I think it's easy to forget that he, Lewis was actually in, in at least a semi-small sample, kind of a monster last year. He saw a career high, 180 carries. He averaged five yards per carry. Um, and if he's able to have that continued success, and and also to remind you, Tennessee has a quite a solid offensive line, I think he's a real threat to steal a lot of touches from Derrick Henry. And kind of that's more of a, of a, of a sort of um, – big up to Dion Lewis, but I think just focusing on Henry himself, I think a lot of his value comes from his potential. I think he's thought of as sort of a red zone battering Ram type running back. Who's able to bull his way into the end zone. But I actually think that that's kind of a fallacy to some extent. If you look at his performance in the red zone, it's not as amazing as I think people think it is. Um, He has, he does have eight touchdowns um, on 49 career red zone carries, but he was really quite ineffective or he's been ineffective from inside the five yard line or was last season. Um, he had six carries and only one touchdown. Uh, comparatively, Deion Lewis had four carries inside the five yard line last year and he scored three times, small sample size to be sure. Um, so I'm not going to, to sort of make jump to these, you know, really wild conclusions based on just that. But the point is, is that I don't think it's a given that Henry's going to see all of the goal line action that I think people are, are thinking. Um, his stats from last year, I think, are fairly inflated. He had two 
uh, late game touchdown runs of uh, over 70 yards that I think padded his stats and made him look a little bit uh, better than I think he was. Um, uh, in both of those games, I think the Titans just needed a first down to ice the game and he was able to escape and kind of run the length of the field. But um, with those runs, if you take out those uh, those uh, kind of scamper touchdowns, his stats look much worse. 174 carries for 579, or excuse me, 597 yards and just three touchdowns, which comes out to a measly 3.4 yards per carry. So uh, I'm not saying he's not talented. Uh, he certainly has upside, but I think with the arrival of Lewis um, and just uh, kind of putting a little bit of pumping the brakes on his on his uh, sort of uh, ceiling, uh, he's just being drafted a little too high for me. I don't disagree with the take overall, but to, just to add a couple things to uh, big up the uh, the big guys up front, their offensive line is quite beastly, and sure. and um, I I don't think that Derrick Henry is going to be what everybody wants him to be, including me. I just have a, a soft spot for him because I think he's just an animal and I would love to see him tear it up and, and what I think everybody thinks his capabilities are. Um, but the Titans, at least up until this year, potentially when, when LaFleur might change things, but up until then, they've been a run first team and um, their backs averaged 2.1, two, uh, 2.1 yards before contact, which is the third highest in the league and mm. significantly larger uh, than the average of, you know, one and a half yards before contact. In addition, the Titans finished the regular season with a pass blocking efficiency rating of 82.3, which was tied for the third highest rating in the league and surrendered only 14 sacks. So mm. the line itself sure is incredible. And I, th you know, I just mentioned, I'm expecting big things from Mariota. Um, I think Deion Lewis is going to be a sneak attack as well. I think he's going to be great. I think Corey Davis could break out Rashard Matthews. Mm -hmm. Delaney Walker's not going anywhere. Um, right. DeMarco right. Murray not being there definitely helps Henry, but I think this is going to be a passing offense, um, which they haven't been uh, maybe since like the McNair years, which has been forever ago, but I really just don't, you know, right. don't see that. And um, therefore I don't think Henry fits into that mold so well. Um, right. Although I don't think he's gonna be terrible. I agree with you that he's not going to be going to be the top of the top of the heap that I think everybody else is expecting over all these years. So good, good call on good call. On Henry. I, I agree with your take on the line. I think if he, if he truly gobbles away the, the feature back role from, from Dion Lewis and he is the man, he will come closer at least to returning his ADP, but I just don't think, I think we're going to be looking at something closer to a timeshare um, with Dion Lewis, maybe vulturing away a lot of his end zone or uh, red zone uh, uh, rushes, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Well, and again, don't forget Marcus can run too. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Another, another point. And he, you know, can, can throw touchdowns from that range. And, you know, they have a ton of weapons now inexplicably. I don't know when this happened, but inexplicably the Titans became, or at least looked to be something of a, of a pretty impressive offensive team. If you, if you expect, step forwards uh, steps forward from guys like Mariota and Davis so uh so yeah it's it's it could be an interesting scene over there for sure i think what happened is the titans have been solid for years and and uh, they were under the you know the wrath of yep. jeff fisher yeah so, yeah 100% yep. turn them loose a little bit all right um i'm going to turn the page to Tyreek Hill which i think um 
is maybe not an unpopular pick for a bust, but I know that there's a ton of people who also absolutely salivate over Tyreek Hill, and uh, I'm just not one of them. Um, he's a wide receiver 13 right now. Um, they just paid Sammy Watkins, you know, say what you want about Watkins, but the Chiefs just paid him $50 million to come play football in Kansas City, and uh, Sammy Watkins is a beast. Um <laughs> If you think back to college in his first year or two uh, in, in Buffalo before he started getting hammies and, you know, everything else, he and Tyrod Taylor actually had a really good connection and he can he can get down the field, uh, you know, not as fast, but he's definitely bigger than Tyreek Hill. And I think he can move just as well. Um, they have, you know. I think Watkins is, is a hiccup for Tyreek for sure. Mahomes is coming in who you can argue has the huge arm. Uh, which I don't think is a doubt. However, he's essentially a rookie, and um, the accuracy is a concern. The one game he did play last year was, you know, left something to be desired. And you mentioned all the stats earlier about how amazing Alex Smith was last year. And I just think that Tyreek Hill definitely helped Alex Smith, of course, but I think Alex Smith helped Tyreek Hill a ton, to be honest. And... um, Alex Smith was the most uh, accurate um, quarterback on on, uh, deep balls, as you mentioned. Um, Tyreek Hill's last 13 touchdowns, including all of them in in 2017, were from 30 yards or further out. Mm. So he hasn't had any touchdown reception less than 30 yards, which if you're in a big-time fantasy league, that's incredible. But if you're thinking about this on a practicality level, that's very impressive, but there's no way that's sustainable. Um, yeah, he's not a goal line option. Uh, sure, he could take a slant to the house like you know Odell, but his game is a better Ted Ginn. He's gonna he's gonna hoof it, and if he catches the ball, he's got a touchdown. But I just I don't think he's a secret anymore around the league. I think people are gonna pull a safety over the top to stop him because I think they can stop maybe Sammy Watkins. We'll see what happens in Kansas City. That's actually a really interesting team. I just don't think that Tyreek Hill is going to have the value of a borderline wide receiver one this year. Um, and, you know, Tyreek Hill's going ahead of players like Fitz, Stephon Diggs, Demarius Thomas, Josh Gordon. I would take all of those players, assuming Josh Gordon plays, obviously. I would take all of those players over Tyreek Hill. Um, I just don't see him returning wide receiver 13 value. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I was I was prepared to discuss Tyreek Hill as a bust too, because I think I feel the same way, um, for the same reasons. I think another interesting point about Hill that I read is that uh, last year he was he was the third highest in fantasy points scored on coverage mistakes. So he scored twenty twenty four point five fantasy points on coverage mistakes that occurred uh, on throws thirty or more yards downfield in particular. So that's something that I think is high. You know, is not flat out not repeatable, right? I mean, that's just a kind of a pure dumb luck sort of thing. Um, and I, I agree that, and and the other thing that I, that is note, worth noting is that he's got uh, one of the toughest matchup points total among wide receivers. Um, so he's going to be in some tough matchups with a new quarterback. Um, and, uh, and there's just, there's too much, too much, uh, I think too many things there that are not repeatable to, to justify drafting him as the 13th receiver. I agree. And Tyreek Hill, you know, players like that make their make their bread. Honestly, Jordy Nelson was one of them early in his career where, uh, you know, Rodgers would break out of the pocket when the when the pocket breaks down. Rodgers would hustle around and they had so much great communication. Jordy would just hustle around backyard football. He would get open. Rodgers would hit him for a 60 yard game. Um, right. 
Now, do they get credit for that? Of course, that's a great football play. Uh, but was that scripted? Can you count on those? They're going to happen. But, uh, you know, I would argue that you're, you're absolutely right. Um, those are fluke things that are definitely going to happen once or twice. But uh, to have all those touchdowns, you know, 30 yards out, I just I don't want to bank on that. And uh, honestly, I, I believe in Sammy Watkins this year. Yep. Yep. I'm, I'm on board with all those points for sure. Um, so I'm going to take Allen Robinson from my bust, uh, my wide receiver bust. And again, that's going to come with the disclaimer. He can help your fantasy team. I'm not, this is not an indictment of Allen Robinson as a player. I think he's quite incredibly talented. Um, but I think drafting him as high as he's going could, could provide, um, some disappointment to say the least. Um, I think the most obvious that I, I don't, for some reason, people don't seem to be perturbed by this, but he's coming back from a torn ACL. I think these things happen so much in the NFL that we forget that touring, tearing your ACL is a gnarly injury that it's really, really hard to just immediately come back and be, and be, you know, amazing from. Uh, so I think that's just the, the most obvious. Um, I'm not convinced that he's going to be physically prepared to be the number one receiver that the bears brought him in to be. Um, I may be wrong, but I think perhaps even the more concerning thing is that he's going to be catching pass passes from Mitchell, Mitchell Trubisky, uh, Trubisky, who I think w should take a step forward. He has better weapons around him, um, and I think a better offensive head coach in Matt Nagy, uh, a year of experience. But he, I mean, the bottom line is that the Bears had the league's worst passing attack last season, 175.7 points per game, uh, excuse me, uh, yards per game. Um, and I, I think even with a step forward, uh, there's absolutely nothing uh, to suggest that that's all of a sudden going to translate into an, anything resembling an offensive juggernaut that I think Allen Robinson would need to, to sort of live up to his ADP right now. And then finally, I think Chicago has, uh, and we'll talk at some point about running back tandems. Uh, I think they have maybe one of the strongest running back tandems in football in Jordan Howard and Tariq Cohen. And I, I firmly believe that Chicago is going to lean on them a ton and they're going to be a, sort of a run first team. Um, he's his ADP right now, I think in PPR leagues is around 20 or 21, something along those lines. Um, and I think that's just flat out too high for a guy with that many question marks. And also even when he's been healthy is only topped a uh, thousand yards it's only top 75 receptions for a thousand yards once in his career um so i'm not convinced that he's that he's going to be the fantasy stud that people are making him out to be i don't disagree there early on in the process over the summer when he got signed by the bears and he's been healthy and, and all these other things i i actually was i was all about i was riding the train for sure i um i really like Allen robinson as a receiver um i mean he made blake bortles look good so, you know, I, it, it's tough for me. Um, I think that them actually allowing Mitch Trubisky to like throw a pass uh, will be definitely a boost to the entire Bears team um, because that's another thing where John Fox just let those guys rot over there, you know, and, and right. um, so now, you know, Nagy's the real deal um, and uh, he's going to come in there and I think they're going to be air raid whether it's successful or not. But um, I have mixed feelings on, on, uh, on, on Robinson. I wouldn't be surprised if he, if he matches it or exceeds, but I also wouldn't be surprised if, uh, you know, um, somebody like Anthony Miller comes out of nowhere, mm -hmm. not really out of nowhere, but surpasses him um, with youthful legs. And again, he is, he is one low hit away from taking that knee out again. So can't disagree with you there. 
Uh, we've got two more here to wrap this up. Uh, the tight ends. Um, I think this is another controversial name here too, where I think people are on one side of the fence or the other. Uh, I personally am on the uh, Jimmy Graham bust train and um, right now he's going as a tight end four. And again, I will preface this one more time with this is less about Jimmy Graham as the player, more about I don't think there's any way possible other than Aaron Rodgers, just Aaron Rodgersing him to 14 touchdowns or something that Jimmy Graham gets to tight end for. I just don't see it happening. Um, to throw a bunch of numbers at you here and try to make sense of it, the season average – since 2010 for Jimmy Graham himself is 19 and a half red zone targets, 10, 10 zone targets. So from the 10 yard line out and seven red zone touchdowns, pretty solid. Yeah. The same span, the green boy, the green Bay tight ends as a group since 2010, everybody, including right. Jermichael Finley, which everybody always decides that, you know, he's the, he's the, the benchmark who played one year, crushed it, and we've never heard from him again. The tight ends in the same time frame, 10 and a half red zone targets, five and a half, 10 zone targets, and three red zone touchdowns, essentially half of what Jimmy Graham has been able to do. And a lot of the stats I just mentioned off for Jimmy Graham were when he was still Jimmy Graham. I think him losing his knee a few years ago, was not just another knee replacement like we see in the NFL a lot. He was older or is older. I think it took him longer to get back to it. And I think that slowed him down significantly. Obviously when he was with the saints early on, I mean, he was a big receiver. He was, uh, you know, Gronk esque for sure. And could just take over by himself. I remember for years it was Gronk or Jimmy Graham at the top all the time. He's just, he's just not a shell of himself in my opinion. Um, he finished uh, 2017 as uh, the sixth tight end in PPR while leading tight ends in touchdowns, which basically if you score a touchdown a week as a tight end, you could be a tight end one. Um, the, 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 after the top couple, it just becomes so scarce at the position. So he led the league in touchdowns and uh, was the, was the sixth tight end. Um he was 17th in yards, though, which I think is my concern. And this is from what Russell Wilson, of course. Um, say we split, you know, Jimmy Graham and Green Bay's averages uh, since 2010 at five. Uh, he'd be basically the tight end 10, um, which is just ahead of Ben Watson. Um, you know, and I want to give a, a shout out to uh, Nick over at BDGE for the for the stat breakdown. I thought that was really quality too. I know it's a lot of numbers, but if you think about it, um, comparing Jimmy Graham himself, who's been just a monster most of his career, to Aaron Rodgers and the tight end position. I think that's a real thing. Um, Aaron Rodgers is obviously the best in the game. People can argue one of the best, if not the best of all time, pure quarterback. That's another discussion. The point is Aaron Rodgers makes his meat on everybody else but the tight end for the most part. Now, he might be good for a Hail Mary, you know, on Thanksgiving Day every other year, but I'm not sure that he's going to be doing it consistently. Um, Rogers loves Devonte Adams in the red zone. He has for years and they have three quality running backs that I think, you know, one of them's a receiver. Ty Montgomery's not even a running back. He's been playing running back for two years out of necessity. I think he moves back out there. Randall Cobb's back and healthy. Um, tight end four to me is just insane for him. And uh, I have him at, as the tight end 11 and reluctantly at that, I, I could see him getting out of my, 
top tier tight ends uh, by the time the season starts. No problem. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think, I think I agree with, with all of your points. I think I take something more of a tempered take. I, I think, I think Graham should fit in better with the Packers offense than he did with the Seahawks, certainly of a more pass friendly offense. Uh, and I, 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 that's something I've, I've been sort of thinking about over and over again is the tight end thing and how all these, a lot of uh, tight ends who have been successful in other systems, I think of Jared Cook and Martellus Bennett, uh, kind of tanked in Green Bay. Um, so I think that there's there's something to be said for that. Um, I think he still – I don't think he's just a possession receiver anymore. I still, I still think he's an excellent pass catcher. Um, and his recovery he's, – he's been quite durable after rupturing his patellar tendon in 2015. So he's been actually quite impressive in terms of his durability. Um, but – but I agree that I, I think people who are expecting that this is going to be sort of Saints version Jimmy Graham are, are, are sadly mistaken. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, I agree with you overall points for sure. Um, all right. So tight end. Um, I'm picking going with kind of another, in some sense, easy out uh, and picking a, a oft injured player in Jordan Reed as my bust. Um, there's no doubt. I mean, there's no doubt the guy, I think when healthy has, has the capability of being one of the better players at his position. Um, I, I just, I, I find it almost impossible to count on that actually occurring. He has never, ever once completed a full 16 game schedule. Um, and is coming off of a season in which he missed 10 games. Uh, he underwent toe surgery in the spring. So I'm not, uh, you know, we'll see, but I'm not, you know, hundred percent confident that he's going to be at full strength early in the season. Um, he's going to be playing with a new quarterback in Alex Smith, who, as as you know, I, I think very highly of. But since Reed has been sort of rec- uh, spending his time recovering from surgery during the offseason, it's probably the case that I don't think the two have had much time to sort of get on the same page uh, in the same way that Smith may have with his other numerous options. And the other thing I think that's uh, somewhat uh, kind of almost uh, uh, a sleeper idea, if you will, or something to keep in mind is that Reed isn't Smith's only option at tight end. They have Vernon Davis, who uh, was surprisingly useful last year. He racked up 43 receptions, 648 yards. Um, Vernon Davis, of course, was a former teammate of Alex Smith in, uh, in San Francisco and was was an option, uh, a key option for him there. So I think if the chemistry isn't, even if Reed is, is on the field, even if the chemistry isn't there, I don't think Smith is going to be forcing him the ball and he'll be looking for other options. He's, I think his, his average draft position is around 10 among tight ends. And to me, he is not a tight end one. I think there are uh, plenty of excellent options uh, near the uh, sort of the back end of the first sort of few tiers of, of tight ends uh, that I'm firmly leaving re, uh, alone on draft day for sure. I can't disagree. Um, I'd like to see it happen just because I feel bad for the guy. You know, it's 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 uh it's one thing to just kind of linger around for many years and and putts around, but we've seen when he's healthy, he's an absolute, you know, stud. Um, many years uh, in Washington with uh, with Kirk Cousins, he was he was uh, the top receiver on the team, period. Um, but also in the league, and uh, you know, we'll see. I, I like your take there on Vernon Davis. I think. Um, you know, Vernon Davis is still around, and Alex Smith and Vernon Davis put up some uh, pretty significant numbers out there in San Francisco a handful of years ago. So I do like to see that report back, and uh, I like the take. Um, we'll see if it can happen, but 
certainly certainly a risky call, but Jordan Reed might be another one of those guys where if you reach on one of the, the first three guys, uh, say Grant, Kelsey, Ertz, um, Reed might be a great uh, second tight end if you play that game. Um, first of all, bye weeks, but also, uh, you know, injuries happen to everybody. Uh, yep. can happen to everybody, I should say. And, uh, you know, if you pick Kelsey, something happens to him, and you have Reed and he's actually healthy for 10 to 12 games, you have another Kelsey, in my opinion, um, if, if he's right with a quarterback. Well, who threw to Kelsey, ironically, but, no. <laughs> but, but somebody who um, has been feeding the tight end for many years and, and isn't afraid to do so. So I like, I like that pick as, as a bust in general, but if Jordan Reed were to actually finally get it together, uh, I, I'd be, I'd be happy for him. Yep. On board. Excellent. Well, that's a wrap for the sleepers and the bus. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Candlestick Kids Fantasy Podcast. It's always a pleasure, never a chore. Make sure you email your questions to the Candlestick Kids Fantasy Pod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at the Candlestick Kids with the hashtag TCKPod. And remember, if you're not having fun, you're doing it wrong. Don't screw up. For Daniel Stancato, I'm Sky Guasco, and we are Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.